Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Do you remember when apartheid advocate and political prisoner Nelson Mandela died in a South African prison? Or how you used to watch sex in the city? Or how the Monopoly man wears a monocle? Or how Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father, and the Empire Strikes Back? Or maybe Hannibal Lecter saying, hello, Clarice, in Silence of the Lambs? Well, if any of this sounds correct to you, uh, congratulations, you're wrong. You got mandela my friend. That's the Mandela Effect, a term coined by paranormal researcher Fiona Broom in 2010, used to describe a large group of people, most of whom have never met each other, all remembering an event that never happened. Nelson Mandela was released from prison on February 11, 1990, died a free man 23 years later on December 5, 2013. There was never a show called Sex in the City. There was a show called Sex and the City. The Monopoly Man never wore a monocle. Maybe you're thinking of that little planter's peanut dude, that little chicken-legged bastard. He did. Lord Vader never said, look, I am your father. No, he said, no, I am your father. And Hannibal Lecter never said, hello, Clarice. Never said it once in 1991, Silence of the Lambs. However, it was so commonly thought that he did, the writers threw that line in 2001's Hannibal just for fun. So why does this happen? Is it some uh, psychological collective misfire to be filed under the phenomenon of false memory syndrome? Or is it what Fiona Broom suggests, real memories of real variations on events that have taken place in an alternate reality? A parallel universe that many of us have visited without even realizing it. Or is it proof of something even weirder than that, that we're all living in some giant computer simulation, a program so advanced and complex, us lumps of binary code actually think we're real and shit? Find out all this and more in a strange Twilight Zone-ish edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Welcome to Time Suck, everybody. Happy Monday, you time sucker motherfuckers. Huge shout out to those sweet sucking BDMs. Those big dick millionaires from the podcast that started Time Suck, A Mediocre Time with Tom and Dan. Those guys are my podcast daddies. My two podcast dads. And, uh, and their BDMs have been helping uh, the suck in so many ways from the very beginning. 
So uh, thanks to all the new listeners also who hopped over from Crime and Sports. Uh, appreciate you as well. Thanks again to Jimmy and James for having me on that wonderful show. Uh, love all the recent subscriptions. Very, very flattered and honored. Uh, thanks for subscribing to this podcast and, and making sure it shows up in your podcast feed the second it comes out on Mondays at noon Pacific time. And with all the recent iTunes reviews, uh, we're less than 25 away from me getting down and dirty on sucking some Pablo Whiskey Dick Escobar for that 500 iTunes reviews bonus episode. Uh, appreciate everyone who helped the show out by filling out that survey at podsurvey.com backslash timesuck. That survey is going to pair me with the best possible sponsors for timesuck. You know, if we're going to have sponsors, why not, why not be sponsored by companies you actually like as, a, as opposed to sponsors you hopefully hate like fucktimesuck.com or eat a bag of moldyballs.biz. Is that what you want? Is that what you want for a sponsor? Sponsors, uh, you know, they, they give, they're going to give you uh, great deals on things you're already going to buy if we line it up correctly. Uh, sponsors that allow me to justify blowing off uh, many, if not most, of my life responsibilities uh, to research topics you and I find fascinating for days on end. I fucking love it so much. Uh, we all win when you head to podsurvey.com backslash time suck and fill out that quick survey, and you could literally win a $100 Amazon gift card uh, by taking the time to do so. Uh, also, every time you fill out that survey, every time you do, this is a fact. Uh, another fully operating Thetan finds L. Ronald in Scientology heaven. Uh, also, I just took the money uh, spent so far on the show, the money from PayPal donations, T-shirt sales. I have more pics of Time Suckers wearing those first-generation T-shirts on uh, Instagram, by the way. Uh, I'm going to put some up uh, soon, by the way. But, uh, but anyway, I took the PayPal money and that uh, 345% pure, unadulterated orangutan nipple T-shirt money uh, from Time Suckers using the Amazon button. Took the money from there uh, at timesuckpodcast.com, do their shopping, reinvested it into some studio-quality recording equipment. All right? Hopefully that's, hopefully that's what you're hearing right now. Hopefully that's what you're noticing. For you audiophiles out there, you're, you're now listening to a sure SM78 or SM7B mic. Shows you what I know. Uh, recommended by Tom and Dan. All right? Recommended by Dan, actually. Dan, Dan, Dan got it right. He got, me a, he, got me a, he got me a big boy mic. A standard mic found in radio stations nationwide. Oh my god! I just did a little sound test yesterday, and I just, uh, oh, I just had a joy orgasm. I was so happy. I would listen to the the way it was before, and then the way it is now, and it's like, oh, buddy, that's that's proper. That's proper professional shit. That sweet sounds coming through a Sure SCM two sixty eight four channel mixer with six transformers and phantom power. And I don't know what fucking any of that means, but I like it. That's what it says on the product description. I'm not going to hear any mic stand knocking around anymore, thanks to a Rode PSA-1 Swivel Mount Studio Microphone Boom Arm. And by the way, none of these none of these things are sponsors for the show. I just, if I know there's a lot of uh, other podcasters who listen, and that's the equipment I got. You can hit me up, uh, by the way, at admin at timesuckpodcast.com, and I'll pass along this info to you. Because, man, if you're if you're willing to spend a little bit of dough, you got some extra dough, holy shit, it sounds so much better. That swivel arm is fucking badass. All right. And, uh, and yeah, because I know those of you, and, and I, I listen, I listen to the feedback, I listen to all of it, I read all the emails, and, uh, and again, I know that there was some problems for some of you uh, hearing that suck in the truck, couldn't get the, the volume up high enough, this should knock that out. Let me know if it doesn't. It should be fucking perfect now. You should be getting that perfect truck suck coming your way. And, uh, and I also heard your emails about the segment intros, outros, coming a little hot, and, uh, and so I've remixed the time suck edit template. Hope, hope it's a smoother ride all around. I can't get stale with the suck, you know. Got to keep, uh, got to keep fine tuning it. No one wants that old, outdated suck. No one wants a high noon behind a truck stop dumpster suck. They want that midnight penthouse suck with maybe a snack tray. Thanks to all you uh, time suckers for pushing so hard for this episode too. I started researching this one. This is the only one I walked away from. 
I was gonna do I was gonna do Mandela Effect months ago, and then I just I wasn't ready. I couldn't get my head around it. It's fucking heavy, just crazy stuff. Uh, I, I don't know if it would work, but the requests just kept coming in. I think it's one of the most requested uh, uh, topics. Uh, time sucker Kyle Serrato asked for this a long time ago on Facebook. Time suck T-shirt warrior Jason Haney emailed me about it months ago. Time sucker Nate Sky hit me up on Instagram and emailed me about it later. Uh, Sam Cray, Mike Vaught, uh, asked to suck Mandela on Facebook. At guy with no YouTube via Twitter hit me up. Aaron uh, via email. Alex Hurd, Garrett Cooper, uh, Keegan Burkhalter all emailed me. At UndeadMax1313 on Twitter. Uh, and, and a lot more in the fa- past few weeks. So sorry if I didn't name you. Uh, you ask enough, you know, it gets bumped up to the front of the suck line. And I ended up loving this one. This ended up being uh, one, of my, one of my favorite sucks. So let's get into it right after a, a quick few Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. Okay, I've been getting some great attention-grabbing subject lines coming at me. Uh, admin at timesuckpodcast.com. Just wanted to share some of those... Uh, with you, some of my faves. Uh, recent standouts uh, include, hey, fucker, hear this. Uh, another one, uh, insert witty or dickish subject line so this catches your eye. Nurse, whiskey, laudanum, saw. All right, that was one. Uh, hey, numbnuts. I like it. Succinct, direct. Uh, another one, even more succinct. Attention, dick sack. Why is dick sack so much funnier than nutsack? <laughs> and my recent favorite... Uh, this is the subject line. My girlfriend is farting Chipotle, so I'm playing your podcast to drown it out. Fantastic. All of those cracked me up. Um, a quick update from, uh, Richard T. Roberts about last week's Caligula episode. Uh, when I was asked by, uh, James and Jimmy about who came first, Greeks or the Romans, I thought it was the Greeks. I wasn't sure. Uh, Richard cleared it up. He says, hello, master sucker. Been getting a lot of that too lately, and I fucking love it. It's such a weird thing to call somebody. Uh, I have a time sucker update for you. Uh, from everything that I've been reading, ancient Greece did come before ancient Rome. Uh, and so ancient Greece started around 1100 BC and taking a quick look myself. Yep. Uh, ancient Greeks were definitely dicking around over there in Southern Europe before the Romans, their timeline, you know, it's, it's who knows exactly how long they're over there, but they were definitely doing shit, uh, hundreds of years, a couple centuries before Rome. So thank you, uh, Richard for that. And finally, a cool personal update on time suck episode 20 insane, insane asylum tales from time sucker Lee white. He emailed me uh, a little bit ago about a trip he and his wife took to West Virginia three years ago when they went on a tour of the asylum I spoke about at length in that episode, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum uh, in Weston, West Virginia. Here's an excerpt from Lee's message. He says, quote, one experience excited me greatly and might have made my pants darker. I was lining up a shot, he's taking some pictures, uh, of a wheelchair against the peeling paint walls. There's a staircase about a foot behind me. My wife and the tour guide start talking uh, about some noises coming from a room in front of us. As that is happening, I hear someone running up the stairs behind me. As the footsteps got closer, I felt air rush by me. Needless to say, I was startled. The guide exclaimed, what the hell was that? I just said, fuck. (laughs) There's about 18 U's in that one. I like it. What made the rest of the tour even creepier was that a huge thunderstorm started outside shortly after. I got to see the room where Dean, the guy that had the bedpost shoved through his head, was murdered. I mentioned that in the episode. Fun fact, the guys that killed him jumped on the bed multiple times before the leg post crushed Dean's skull. Oh, my God. it's a bad way to go. Uh, other than the haunted deal, I took away some other interesting facts. Let's do a top five. I love it. Number one, some divorces were hard to obtain, so husbands wanting to divorce would drop their wives off at the asylum. Once admitted, the court would allow the divorce. Oh, that's fucking brutal. 
Number two, many patients were able to uh, wander the town of Weston. Nurses and orderlies would go out each evening and round up the wandering patients. Ah, what a weird place to live that would be. You know, just uh, every afternoon, you just get a, a couple severely mentally ill people or people who just, you know, didn't, didn't want to get a divorce, uh, wander through town. Uh, number three, the town uh, of Weston uses the asylum grounds for many festivities and town functions. That'd be sweet just to have some weird picnic or meeting at the mental hospital. Uh, number four, it's the largest stone building uh, built in the Western Hemisphere. Number five, ghost hunters will leave cigarettes and small items as gifts for certain paranormal things happening around them. That's awesome. This ghost wants some smokes. And bonus, they offer overnight multi-hour tours. You should visit. Loving the show. Keep being curious. Take care, Lee. Well, thank you, Lee. I'm glad you had an exciting experience there. Uh, not sure I'm going to be visiting that place anytime soon. Uh, definitely won't be staying overnight. Uh, I talk a big game about uh, not believing in paranormal stuff, but I'm a fucking huge baby, and uh, I would be terrified there. Uh, what I will be doing uh, right now is getting into that Mandela effect. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. So, the Mandela Effect. Collective false memories, proof of parallel dimensions and alternate realities, proof that we're inside some sort of matrix, but one we can't unplug from. Before we get to dig into those possibilities, let's check out a few more examples of this phenomenon. Uh, one, Bernstein Bears. Uh, you, like me, are probably familiar with the Bernstein Bears. I actually modeled the illustrations for my parody book, Daddy Bear, Three Ma- Rabbits Meet the Real World, uh, off of this family of bears, except their name isn't Bernstein, like I've thought, I think, my whole life. It's Berenstain. Yeah, Berenstain. B-E-R-E-N, Stain, S-T-A-I-N. I'll say it again, Berenstain. I had to dig up the YouTube video from the theme song from the animated kids' TV show from the 2003-2004 PBS version, and country singer Amy Lee Womack, even with her country, country twang, clearly says Berenstain. So then I thought, well, maybe they change it from the original 1985 PBS version. Nope. No country twang on, uh, on that theme song. The cheesy 80s narrator clearly, uh, to my amazement, says Berenstain. Uh, here's the Amy Lee Womack chorus. All right, mm-hmm. so see, she says Berenstain. Now here is the 1985 uh, original version. If your mind is a little blown right now, I get it. Uh, it doesn't feel right to me either. Uh, it doesn't feel right at all, and we're not alone. Here, here are some YouTube comments uh, from, from very upset uh, uh, Bernstein Bears fans. Listen to the Womack version. Top most popular comment just says, Bernstein. And then, I watched every episode. All caps. Uh, The next comment I read says, also in all caps, I swear to the Lord it was always Bernstein. (laughs) Or how about also in all caps, I watched this as a child. It was my show. It was Bernstein. And my favorite is, ah, 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 it said Bernstein in the beginning. Uh, That one's my favorite because of the name of the YouTube channel that left this comment. It's Illuminati Confirmed. Yeah, the Illuminati confirmed. Looking for those Illuminati signs, such as the Bernstein Bear theme song. Uh, first comment on the 1985 version is, Nobody in the effing world said Berenstain Bears. It was always Steen, as in Berenstain. The new earth is a damn lie. I love new earth. I didn't know that's where we were living now. Uh, and then another, <laughs> this one says, This is scaring me a lot. I could have sworn it was Bernstein. 
Uh, and then my favorite comment exchange uh, on that video, Donut Dazzler, says, where did all you Steen people come from? When I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, I only ever heard it pronounced Stain. Not once did I ever hear anyone say Steen. To which Justin Lode replies, this will sound crazy, but we may have come from a parallel earth where it was in fact Bernstein for all of us. Not saying that's the reason for sure, but it would explain a lot of things. This isn't the only thing that's been altered for us either. And I don't get the feeling that Justin is kidding about believing he's from an alternate universe. And he's right. Uh, it does sound crazy, you know, because this whole Mandela effect stuff is crazy. Now, as much as the Bernstein-Berenstein uh, controversy has set the internet on fire, nothing has spun more heads around regarding the, the Mandela effect, especially lately, than the 1990s uh, Sinbad movie that was never made, that no one ever saw, but so many people think they did, Shazam. Shazam! When I was recording last week's Caligula episode, uh, I brought up the Mandela effect to the Crime and Sports podcast co-host Jimmy Wisman uh, when he asked what topic I was doing uh, this week. And when I gave him the Shazam Sinbad example for Mandela effect, uh, he was positive the movie was real. He's like, no, I, I saw I saw clips from it. He's like, I just saw clips from it. That was a real movie. And uh, <laughs> and and he did see some footage, footage from a collegehumor.com Sinbad collaboration for April Fool's. It was an April Fool's joke for any of you who saw that. I don't know how you missed the fact that it was, came out on April 1st. But... uh. Uh, they released uh, previously lost footage of this hidden genie movie. It's actually a great video. They did a really good job of making it all retro and VHS-y. I mean, I mean, it's a little like uh, kind of Adult Swim over the top on that way, but it's 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 a cool video. Uh, they nailed that look. So there's a, and there's a variety of uh, older videos offering clues to this reality, of this movie, such as the allegedly real Shazam movie poster. Uh, the comments on these videos are just as good as the the Berenstein Bears comments. Top comment from the Truth Always Wins simply says, "I saw the effing movie." Another comment from Ash Arena HD is, I used to have a huge crush on Sinbad as a kid, and I watched all his stuff. He played a genie, and he had on purple pants and curled-up slippers. It was a white boy who starred in the movie. I don't know who, but I remember a scene where he climbed to the boy's window, and the kid was making fun of Sinbad's clothes. He had a gold hoop earring in his pierced ear. And finally, Davey Ward, uh, even more specific memories. I mean, this is very specific. He says, quote, I'm 34 years old, and I remember going to the movie theater in the early 90s. This was one of the first movies I was allowed to watch by myself. My brothers were with me at the theater, but wanted to see a different movie since they are five and six years older. I was also a big Shaq fan and remember when Kazam came out, thinking that's pretty lame to rip off a similar movie that was just released earlier, same basic plot and all. I'm still trying to wrap my head around why these things uh, are and why they would change, but I asked my mother if she remember. I think you meant to say what things are. Uh... I asked my mother if she remembered what my first movie I went to without her accompanying me, and she said, uh, was, and she said, that genie movie with Sinbad. That's why I let you go, because this comedy wasn't vulgar. I said, you sure it wasn't the genie movie with Shaquille O'Neal? And she said, no, you didn't think it was right that they tried to rip off the same kind of movie, and that one came out after Sinbad's. There is something to this, but I don't think it's what we are thinking. Much more sinister than what we can even comprehend. I love that it has to go sinister. Anyway, that's my first comment after studying this scenario for over a year now. These two are positive they saw the movie. And I'm positive I don't really like his mom. Because his comedy wasn't vulgar. Stop being a fucking puss, lady. Let your kid hear some real shit. Um, I just love that if the Illuminati is out there, that's, that's where they're going to fuck with us on a, on a Sinbad movie. Like of all the things they could mess with our minds about, a Sinbad movie from the 90s is their top priority. Okay, so that reference to Shaq is a common explanation uh, for the Shazam Mandela effect. Uh, Kazam is a 1996 genie movie starring Shaquille O'Neal, that bastard who totally got me with his flat earth joke a few weeks ago. Uh, he has a big hoop earring in that one. 
There is a white boy in it. No purple pants, though. However, Sinbad did dress up like a genie uh, and genie-like attire when he hosted a marathon of Sinbad the Sailor movies, which are these old, old movies, I believe from the 30s, old black movies, on TNT in 1994. Could that be the answer? Or is it more complicated than that? Well, Dr. Henry Rodiger, a professor at the Washington University Memory Lab, doesn't think so. He says, quote, lots of people remember detailed but utterly false memories. In fact, we all have them. He says, I have published on what we named the social contagion of memory and what others call memory conformity. That may be at work here. Uh, Rodiger explains that frequently one person's report of a memory influences another and that that false memories can spread in this way. He said uh, one person's memory infects another. You know, it kind of like spreads like a virus. Uh, and, and it's clear that this contagion would be only exacerbated online, where an individual can be influenced by multiple people from around the world in an instant. The existence of the Shazam Reddit community, therefore, arguably helps a false memory to spread. And how did that Reddit communi- community grow? It began in 2009. An anonymous individual took to the question and answer website Yahoo Answers to pose its users a simple question. Do you remember that Sinbad movie they wrote? Wasn't there a movie in the early 90s where Sinbad, the entertainer slash comedian, played a genie? Help, it's driving me nuts. Now, this is interesting to me, very interesting. At the time, nobody remembered the film. It took two years for somebody else to ask about it online. Reddit user MJG Simple wrote on a site, uh, on the Reddit site, it's a conspiracy. I swear this movie exists. Anyone have a copy or know where I can find proof? Replies to the post were skeptical, claiming MJG Simple simply had a false memory. So see, prior to 2009, almost no one remembered Sinbad starring in Shazam. Now thousands upon thousands do. That first poster infected the rest of the Redditors. And now they're starting to like come around. And now people, you know, obviously in the last, you know, six, seven years have been claiming they've seen this movie for sure, as I've already given examples of. Even though Sinbad himself has routinely denounced ever appearing in the movie. Even more common than the Sinbad example uh, is the Doobie Brothers Mandela Effect. I, uh, I'm sure you've heard of that one. Millions of people remember Grammy-winning multi-platinum recording artist, vocalist, and keyboardist Michael McDonald singing for a fictitious group called the Doobie Brothers. I mean, supposedly, you know, he sang stuff like, Taking it to the streets, taking it to the streets, taking it to the streets, taking it to the streets. Uh, and other nonsense like, What a fool believes he sees. The wise man has the power to, 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 to reason away, to, 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 to what seems to be. Sorry for broke your eardrum there. Uh, okay, so that last one is an example of the Mandela effect. Uh, that is an example of how I get off for some reason on sneaking uh, McDonald ear, earworms into your brain lately from time to time. Uh, the Doobie Brothers were and are so very real. Another possible explanation for the Mandela effect is what's known. I know that's only funny to me. I one of these days I'll stop. I'll stop with the McDonaldine. Uh, is what's known as false memory syndrome. The beginnings of false memory syndrome defined as a condition in which a person has an apparent recollection of an event that did not actually occur, uh, occur, especially one of childhood sexual abuse that arises during psychotherapy or psychoanalysis, goes all the way back to Freud. Sigmund Freud, you've heard of him, uh, published the Etiology of Hysteria in 1896, where he discussed repressed memories of childhood sexual trauma. In relation to people's hysteria, uh, Freud's theory uh, held that all children might fantasize about sexual relations with their parents, and it followed that a child's recollection of being sexually abused by a parent could be construed as fantasy. Uh, even though Freud himself specifically pointed out on a number of occasions that memories of childhood seduction sometimes did correspond to real events, the overwhelming tendency 
of the psychoanalytic profession throughout most of the 20th century has been to construe recollections of incest as fantasies. Uh, You're probably familiar with Freud's focus on incestuous thoughts. His Oedipus complex, defined as, quote, the complex of emotions aroused in a young child, typically, uh, typically around the age of four, by an unconscious sexual desire for the parent of the opposite sex and a wish to exclude the parent of the same sex. Now, Freud put a lot of thought into the sexual families of children, uh, uh, se- excuse me, sexual fantasies of children towards their parents. No one had, no one had a harder boner uh, for their mom than Sigmund Freud. A uh, little known fact, uh, Freud uh, uh, actually had this written on his tombstone. Here lies a man who had the hardest of all hard boners for his mom. Now, while later uh, developments in psychology have downplayed these suspected incest fantasies in children, the notion that we can recall fantasies as memories of real events has been backed up by numerous psychological studies over the years. Uh, And going further, researchers have proven that seemingly real memories can be both created and altered. One of the leading, if not the leading researcher in the area of false memories is Elizabeth Loftus. A uh, psychological scientist who studies – I used to love reading when I studied psychology. Uh, she's a sharp cookie, this Loftus. really like her a lot. Uh, she doesn't even mention uh, wanting to have sex with her dad one time and any of her research. Weird. So Elizabeth Loftus, uh, born in 1944, is an American cognitive psychologist and expert on human memory. She got a PhD in mathematical psychology, which sounds tough, uh, from Stanford back in 1970 and started her research into memory immediately upon graduation at the New School for Social Research in New York City. And she's done fascinating research ever since. Like the crash study. Uh, The crash study she did with John Palmer in 1974. 150 participants were shown a video of a car crash and then randomly assigned into three conditions. Those in the first condition were asked the same question as the first study uh, using the verb smashed. The second group was asked the same question as the first study, replacing smashed with hit. The final group was not asked about the speed of the crash cars at all. Loftus and Palmer then asked the participants if they had seen any broken glass, knowing there was no broken glass in the video. The responses to this question had shown that the difference between whether broken glass was recalled or not heavily depended on the verb used. A larger sum of participants in the smashed group declared there was broken glass. 16 in the smashed group said they saw broken glass, compared to only 7 for the hit group, compared to only 6 for the control group. So clearly the adjective affected what they thought they saw. It's the uh, old power of suggestion, a studied and very real and powerful psychological phenomenon. One of the reasons attorneys can't ask leading questions during trials, uh, because, you know, leading questions work because of the power of suggestion. So why is it important to understand that these memories can be created? Uh, Criminal cases, for one thing. Uh, Here are some examples uh, of cases Elizabeth Loftus cites on her faculty page at the University of Washington regarding cases of false memory. In 1986, Nadine Kuhl, a nurse's aide in Wisconsin, sought therapy from a psychiatrist to help her cope with her reaction to a traumatic event experienced by her daughter. During therapy, the psychiatrist used hypnosis and other suggestive techniques to dig out buried memories of abuse that Kuhl herself, this is extremely popular in the 80s, by the way, these buried memories, uh, had had allegedly experienced. In the process, Kuhl became convinced that she had repressed memories of having been in a satanic cult of eating babies, of being raped, of having sex with animals, Jesus, of being forced to watch the murder of her eight-year-old friend. Uh, She came to believe that she had more than 120 personalities, children, adults, angels, even a duck, all all because Kuhl was told she had experienced severe childhood sexual and physical abuse. The psychiatrist also performed exorcisms on her, uh, one of which lasted for five hours, and including the sprinkling of holy water and screams for Satan to leave Kuhl's body. When Kuhl finally realized that false memories had been planted, she sued the psychiatrist for malpractice. In March 1997, 
Uh, after five weeks of trial, her case was settled out of court for $2.4 million. Now, I'm glad this lady was able to take this quack to court and get some money, but a little bit of personal responsibility. How fucking dumb was she for continuing <laughs> to see a therapist who performs exorcisms, plural, multiple exorcisms? That's not part of normal therapy uh, at all. I think one of the rules of therapy is to stop going uh, if your therapist ever says, hey, uh, maybe we should try an exorcism. Uh, that's when you just stand up and you shake your head and you, and you sigh heavily and you walk out of the fucking room and you slam the door. Okay, so Nadine Cole is uh, not the only patient to develop false memories as a result of questionable therapy. In Missouri in 1992, a church counselor helped Beth Rutherford to remember during therapy that her father, a clergyman, had regularly raped her between the ages of 7 and 14, and that her mother sometimes helped him by holding her down. That's that's not uh, traumatic at all. Jesus Christ. Under her therapist's guidance, uh, Rutherford developed memories of her father twice impregnating her and forcing forcing her to abort the fetus herself with a coat hanger. The father had to resign from his post as a clergyman when the allegations were made public. Later, medical examination of the daughter revealed that even uh, at the age of 22, still a virgin. Uh, Hyman intact, never been pregnant. Uh, the daughter then sued the therapist, received a million-dollar settlement in 1996. I hope she split that money with her dad. Jeez, he's the one who everyone thinks is a fucking creep now. An allegation like that never goes away. Then there's the case of Steve Titus, a case uh, Elizabeth refers to in a 2013 TED Talk titled How Reliable Is Your Memory? Great TED Talk, by the way. I love those. Uh, on October 12, 1980, a female hitchhiker was raped. Uh, police described the rapist as 25 to 30 years old, driving a royal blue car with temporary license plates and cloth seats and having a beard. The rape was reported to have taken place at 6.45 p.m. The victim walked to a nearby house and after approximately 10 minutes of conversation, called the police at 7.22 p.m. There were tire prints found near the scene which matched that of a Michelin XYZ tire, which was standard on 1981 Honda Accord LX cars, a model that was first sold in September 1980. The victim reported that there was a large brown folder in the car and the rapist wore a three-piece suit. So she had a lot of very specific memories. Well, Seattle restaurant manager Steve Titus was pulled over and then arrested on his way home from a romantic dinner with his fiancée. So, you know, during the timeline just described, he was out to dinner with his fiancée. Uh, He was 31 years old. He was later identified by the victim after police presented her photos of various suspects, and she pointed at Steve and said, that one's the closest. That's what she said. That one's the closest. Like the rapist, he had a beard. He had a new car, a royal blue Chevrolet uh, Chevette, so not the same car. Uh, It had neither Michelin tires nor cloth seats. Uh, The car did apparently have a large brown folder, which Titus later claimed was planted in the car by police. Uh, He didn't have any suits. But during the trial, when the prosecution called the rape, rape victim to the stand, she now said, quote, I'm absolutely positive that's the man. She remembered definitely, without a doubt, being raped by Steve Titus. Well, psycholo- uh, psychologist Elizabeth Loftus, you know, she's living in the Northwest. Uh, she is familiar with this. She hears about it. She argues at the trial that the victim had elicited a false memory of the attacker due to be uh, a biased lineup presented by the police who, you know, uh, used the power of suggestion uh, to get her to remember this. Her perceptions had been changed throughout the process of going to court through cues, which created this false memory. At trial, prosecution testimony was changed and evidence of innocence was explained away by prosecution experts and law enforcement officers. As a direct result, Titus is wrongly convicted of rape in the first degree, a crime that carries with it a mandatory prison sentence. So now he's in prison for a crime he didn't commit, 
he, he reaches out to investigative reporter Paul Henderson of the Seattle Times while incarcerated. Titus's new attorney, Jeff Jones, whom Titus hires to pursue an appeal of his conviction, was able to convince the trial judge to grant a new trial based upon evidence developed by Henderson, arguing that Titus' trial attorney had ambushed by surprise testimony, which directly contradicted evidence contained in the Port of Seattle police investigative report. Subsequently, as a result of good police work by a local municipal officer, uh, who had been following the new articles in the case, a lead was developed to a new suspect. The lead was followed up by the King County Police Department, whose investigation led to the arrest of Edward Lee King, a.k.a. Max Smith, who eventually confessed to the crime. Max Smith's serial rapist thought to have committed 50 rapes in that area alone. Titus was then, of course, uh, set free uh, uh, after less than a year in prison. However, his life was ruined for fucking ever. Uh, he lost his entire life savings with all the court costs. He lost his job. He couldn't get it back, couldn't get hired by another place. Uh, he became so consumed with bitterness and anger about the whole situation that his fiance left him. Uh, and then when, he, when he, he sued the Seattle court system, he ended up dying of a stress-related heart attack at the age of 35, all because of false memory. And imagine how the rape victim feels. Uh, she sent an innocent man to jail and ruined his life all because she was victimized not once but twice. She was victimized first by rapist Max Smith, and then she was uh, victimized again by some shitty detectives doing some lazy fucking detective work. But these aren't the only people who've had their lives ruined by false memories. All right, let's talk about Satan. All right, let's talk about the devil. Let's talk about Beelzebub, the prince of darkness, the fallen angel, old Nick, the tempter, the master of hell, Rush Limbaugh, Richard Simmons. Let's talk about Martha Stewart. Okay, those last three uh, nicknames were a stretch. But it turns out old Satan has a lot to do with the discussion of false memories. Uh, have you ever read Michelle Remembers, an autobiographical account published in 1980 of one woman remembering years of ritual satanic abuse as a child? Well, if not, uh, don't. It sounds fucking terrible. Michelle Remembers chronicles author Lawrence Padster's uh, therapy in the late 1970s with his longtime patient, Michelle Smith. In 1973, Pazder uh, first started treating Smith as his, at his private psych psychiatric practice in Victoria, British Columbia. In 1976, when Pazder, uh, uh, I fucking hate his name, P-A-Z-D-E-R. I'm sorry if your last name is Pazder, but I just, I don't like it the way it rolls off the tongue. Uh, he was treating Smith for depression uh, related to her having had a miscarriage. Smith uh, had a session uh, where she screamed for 25 minutes nonstop. Sounds very dramatic. And eventually started speaking in the voice of a five-year-old. Over the next 14 months, uh, Pazder spent over 600 hours using hypnosis to help Smith recover alleged memories of satanic ritual abuse that occurred when she was 5 in 1954 and 1955 at the hands of her mother, Virginia Proby, and others, all of whom Smith said were members of a satanic cult in Victoria. So Pazder stated that Smith was abused by the Church of Satan, which he states is a worldwide organization predating the Christian church. Uh, the first alleged ritual attended by Smith took place in 1954 when she was five years old. And the final one documented in the book was an 81-day ritual, 81 continuous days in 1955 that summoned the devil himself and involved the intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael the Archangel, who removed the scars received by Smith throughout the year of abuse and, re and removed memories of the events until the time was right. Because that's what, that's what God does. He doesn't, he doesn't prevent the abuse from happening. He just comes in and is like, fuck, okay, she's 81 days. That's enough. That is enough. I'm going to make this right. I'm not going to fucking change the abuse, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the memories go away for a little while. Because that all makes sense. Uh, during the rites, uh, Smith was allegedly tortured, locked in cages, sexually assaulted, forced to take part in various rituals. Uh, she witnessed several murders, uh, rubbed with the blood and body, par and body parts of various murdered babies. Always murdered babies. 
Um, after Smith had seemingly recovered her memories, she and Pazder consulted with various church authorities, eventually traveling to the Vatican itself. Sounds a little crazy, right? Almost too crazy to be true. That's because it is. The book was uh, completely discredited almost immediately on publication with anyone with fucking half a discerning eye. Uh, soon after the book's publication, Pazder was forced to withdraw his assertion that it was the Church of Satan that had abused Smith when Anton LaVey, who founded the organization in 1966, threatened to sue for libel. So he's like, nah, okay, just kidding. As pointed out by Smith's father in a 1980 interview, the book failed to make any mention of Smith's two sisters, Cheryl and Tertia, or that Pazder and Smith, uh, both Catholics, had divorced their spouses and married each other. Just kind of skips over those parts. You know, where, where was her fucking two sisters during all this 81-day abuse? The Daily Mail, a UK journalist, uh, journalism publication, did an independent investigation in 1990 and found that other than Pazder and Smith, everyone else around them described the events Michelle remembers as, quote, the hysterical ravings of an uncontrolled imagination. Former Canadian detective Constable Charles Ennis, also an investigative journalist and author, pointed out further inconsistencies in 2002. He, uh, he noted that it seemed highly unlikely that a sophisticated cult that had secretly existed for generations, one that, you know, connect the dots, actually goes all the way back to, to pre-Christianity, uh, existed, especially given that some of them had supposedly cut off one of their middle fingers in some sort of black mass ritual. That was part of the book, too. These people had, they would cut off the part of their middle finger in some fucking crazy ritual. So how did no one in the town notice that all these prominent fucking citizens were missing, <laughs> missing part of their middle finger? Uh, and how could the cult hold elaborate satanic rituals in the Ross Bay Cemetery unnoticed, given that Smith claimed she was screaming, and given that the Ross Bay Cemetery is surrounded on three sides by fucking neighborhood? Well, the na- all these neighbors just didn't notice this 81-day ritual taking place over there? Also, a look into Smith's elementary school records found no indication of her being absent from school or missing any lengthy period of time, especially 81 days. It's uh, just hysterical nonsense. Some fucking quack of a therapist who should have been discredited for even attempting to publish his horse shit in the first place had the fucking hots for one of his patients. He has an affair with her. They go on to be together for the rest of their lives, an affair that ended both their marriages. Uh, another reason to uh, never let him counsel uh, again, by the way. Huge no-no in the counseling world, fucking your patients. Uh, he feeds and empowers this emotionally vulnerable woman's imagination. I'm guessing with leading questions, uh, Padsol himself had recently returned from Africa before meeting her, where he'd heard uh, rumors uh, of some satanic cannibalistic cult, right? Because everybody in the jungle is a fucking cannibal, uh, according to these fucking idiots. Uh, he had the devil on his brain, nonsense on his brain, and he feeds that narrative to, to this uh, uh, person with, with mommy and daddy issues. Well, well... Uh, unfortunately, for a lot of other people we're going to talk about in a second, the, the book becomes a publishing success despite being garbage. It earned Pazder and Smith because uh, it's so sensational. Uh, $100,000 hardcover advance, $242,000 for paperback rights. It earned, earned some royalties, a uh, big, big promotional tour, almost got them a movie deal. It's promoted uncritically uh, as probable fact in an untold number of media publications. In 1989, Pazder and Smith even appear on the Oprah Winfrey Show. Oprah presenting their claims as fucking fact. Uh, Padzer ends, uh, 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 Padzer becomes an expert, excuse me, in the 1980s satanic hysteria craze that his own book most likely created. How fucked up is that? He creates hysteria and then becomes an expert on that hysteria as if it's fact. Uh, that shit had even appeared on the first major news report on Satanism broadcast on May 16th, 1995 by ABC's 2020. So this, this, this book becomes woven into the zeitgeist, the zeitgeist being defined, you know, that defining spirit or, or mood of a particular period of history. Uh, it's embedded in the cultural subconscious of Christian Americans. It's literally their worst fear. You know, Satan worshippers molesting and or killing their kids. 
Well, also in the early 1980s, new mandatory reporting laws concerning child abuse are implemented, and because of this, there is a large increase in child protection investigations in America, Britain, other developed countries, along with a heightened public awareness of child abuse. And before social workers understood the power of false memory syndrome, social workers used leading and coercive interviewing techniques when talking to the alleged children of abuse. I think you see where this is going. All right, they're making kids who were never abused believe they were abused and needlessly excuse me, needlessly destroying families. And then on top of making kids believe they were molested when they weren't, they start making kids believe that they were abused by various satanic cults. Around this time, childhood memories of similar satanic abuse begins to appear in the psychotherapy session of adults all over the fucking place. There's more talk of satanic abuse on TV. Remember when we talked about the paranormal stuff in the alien episodes where it's like, you know, one little UFO sighting leads to a whole bunch of them? This is the exact same shit. One satanic story leads to a fucking thousand satanic stories. Uh, you know, and everybody starts remembering being satanically abused as kids. I guess they just needed fucking attention or something. Uh, and this leads uh, to one of the worst examples of people's lives being ruined. The McMartin preschool trial. This is so fucking sad. So this is the saddest. In 1983, accusations against the McMartin preschool, a family ran daycare in Manhattan Beach, California, which is a beautiful little South Bay fucking community, right? You know, in LA, oh, it's, it's so peaceful and pretty there. I love, I love Manhattan Beach. Uh, it would become the most expensive criminal trial in U.S. history for the time. It ended up costing over $15 million. Uh, it, it would last all the way till 1990, from 83 to 1990, when all the charges are finally dropped after numerous lives are permanently fucking ruined. 1983, Judy Johnson, mother of one of the Manhattan Beach, California preschool's young students, reports to police that her son had been sodomized by her estranged husband and by McMartin teacher Ray Bucky. That is a heavy accusation, man. Jesus. Ray Bucky was the grandson of school founder Virginia McMartin and son of administrator Peggy Martin Bucky. Well, Johnson's belief that her son had been abused began when her son had painful bowel movements, uh, and what happened next is very disputed. Still disputed. Some sources uh, state that at the time, uh, Johnson's son denied her suggestion that his preschool teachers had molested him. Based on what we're going to find out about her in a second, I'm guessing strongly that's the case. That He was like, what are you talking about? Uh, others say he confirmed the abuse. I don't think he confirmed it. I think he was pressured by his mom, and you're going to see why in a little bit. Uh, in addition, Johnson also made several more uh, accusations. Check these out. Including that the people at the daycare had sexual encounters with animals, that Peggy drilled a child under the arms, that satanic rituals were performed, and this is the best one, that Ray flew around in the air. He, just, he fucking flew around. You hear what I'm saying? He flew. He levitated. Shortly after making these accusations... Uh, Johnson was diagnosed with and hospitalized for acute paranoid schizophrenia. A fucking, of course she was. Of course she was. And she's talking about people flying around at, at the satanic daycare. And in 1986, she was found dead in her home from complications of chronic alcoholism before the preliminary hearing uh, fucking concluded. How the fuck is the trial not over at this point? She was a drunk schizophrenic. Are you kidding me? If she would have just said her son had been sodomized, okay, that's a serious al- allegation. Right? you got to look into that. But when she added that the sodomite uh, levitated around the room, lifted by the power of the devil himself, that's when you wink at one of the other detectives and say, okay, man, yeah, 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 no, we're going to look right into that. Yep, we're going we're gonna to get to the bottom of all this. Uh, and then you have her uh, escorted out of the room, and you call Child Protective Services, and you have her kids taken away because she's a fucking maniac. She's a dangerous maniac. No, instead, the investigation, the expanded investigation continues. Eventually, 360 kids claim to be abused after being interviewed by horrible therapists who use highly suggestive techniques to question these kids. Again, the power of suggestion creates false memories. 
All right, the allegations are so over the top, it's depressing to think that the U.S. government spent, uh, what, $15 million on this horseshit. In addition to having been sexually abused, the kids <laughs> claim they saw witches flying around. Uh, how does this go to trial? Uh, they were transported to and from the rituals in a hot air balloon. Like, what? This is a very populated area. How does no one notice the fucking hot air balloon molestation train? Uh, they were taken through secret, uh, through, through secret underground tunnels, starting in the daycare to be <laughs> fucking tortured and molested. When shown a series of photographs by the defendant's uh, lawyers, one child identified one of the culprits as actor Chuck Norris. He's one of the satanic abusers. How does that not end the trial? You know, uh, let me get this straight. Uh, you were taken to a satanic lair uh, via an underground tunnel that started in the daycare. Uh, did, te- did detectives find uh, any evidence of a giant tunnel when they thoroughly searched the daycare? N- uh, no, they didn't. Um, and, and where was Chuck Norris uh, when these crimes allegedly occurred? Oh, he was he was filming Bowflex infomercials with Christy Brinkley. Uh, okay. Uh, case dismissed, and none of you shitheads are ever allowed to accuse anyone of anything ever again until the day you easily manipulated fucking morons die. What the fuck was this superstitious bullshit? Why was it entertaining the first place? Witches, satanic rituals, floating around in a room? I wish we could go to, I wish we could have a giant meeting where everyone in the entire nation meets out in the Midwest, center of the country, maybe somewhere in Nebraska, all right? Over somewhere around County, Nebraska, where there's room for everybody. And, you know, I, I would just love to go to a podium and be like, uh, anyone who believes in witches, uh, demonic uh, possession, satanic child molestation cults, the conjure the actual devil, uh, flat earth, lizard Illuminati, or any number of other secret or paranormal groups pulling all the strings of society, please raise your hands. Okay, you superstitious fucks, you stay right here in the cornfields where you belong. Uh, the rest of us are going to head back to our rational lives and keep evolution moving forward. All right, more allegations. There was claims of orgies at car washes. Oh, my God. And airports, right? Because no one would no- notice that. Oh, man. Uh, reports of children being flushed down to- <laughs> Children being flushed down toilets to secret rooms. What, are you, what, what fucking, what cartoons are you watching? Where you get these ideas? You're flushing, <laughs> you're flushing kids down secret toilets? How much money do these daycare people have to come up with a secret toilet trap door? Uh, and, then, and then they're cleaned up, and then they're presented back to their parents. They flush them down a fucking secret toilet to a torture room where a guy floats around in a Satan costume and molests them. And then they're like, then they put their clothes back on. And be like, all right, let's just get back to your parents. Um, some interviewed kids talked of a game called Naked Movie Star, suggesting they were forcibly photographed nude. Then during the trial, testimony from the kids states that the Naked Movie Star game was actually a rhyming taunt used to tease other children. What you say is what you are. You're a naked movie star. Fucking children's rhyme gets by these overly active imaginations transformed in some weird child pornography thing. Oh, my God. Despite all this, despite all the obvious signs that this case should be dismissed, uh, despite cases like this, uh, forever ruining any faith I have in our fucking government, this dog and pony show actually goes to trial on March 22nd, 1994, Virginia McMartin, Peggy McMartin, uh, Bucky, Ray Bucky, Ray's sister, Peggy and Bucky, and teachers, Marianne Jackson, Betty Raydor, and Babette Spittler, all these fucking fine people who probably just love kids to death, they want to dedicate their lives to helping little kids, are charged with 115 counts of child abuse, later expanded to 321 counts of abuse involving 48 kids. Daycare providers, all right? These allegations alone have destroyed their careers forever. The small business has been uh, irrevocably damaged, shutters its doors. Of course it does. Lives are over before the trial even begins. Well, then cut to 1990. Ray Bucky is the last defendant to be acquitted. When he's finally released uh, and all the charges are dropped, he spent over five years in prison as a suspected satanic pedophile. Right, years later, kids suspected of being abused, uh, 
confessed as adults that they were strongly pressured to go along with the satanic abuse uh, narrative. Why did the narrative exist? A lot of people think that book uh, Michelle Remembers is behind it. And of course, good old-fashioned religious paranoia over evildoers. They're out to fuck her kids, right? They want to fly around the broomsticks, drink goat's blood, bring the devil into the world so he can, you know, not do anything noteworthy. Why is it always that, by the way? Why can people supposedly conjure up the devil himself, but then once he gets here, you never hear about a bunch of people seeing him? He's a fucking devil. Why does he, like, sneakily sodomize, like, a few kids or, like, eat a baby? Why doesn't he do something, you know, like, uh, just unbelievably evil? Why doesn't he, like, sodomize an entire town to death? You know, just burn a fucking city. He's a prince of fucking darkness. But all he does is make occasional cameos, you know? Maybe have sex with a virgin, you know? Come on, dude. Mentally delinquent petty criminals have rap sheets tougher than you do. Get some fucking nuts, Satan, or stop climbing out of hell. Uh, the trial finally over, and elderly daycare providers, uh, 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 the elderly daycare providers, because most of the people charged were elderly, I think other than Ray, uh, they all died within a few years, probably died of shame and despair and heartbreak. Their story is so goddamn sad. Uh, their beloved preschool's doors shutter forever, like I said, uh, all over the country, other daycare providers. See, it gets even worse. It spreads. Other daycare providers, to make sure they're not, you know, in some weird Salem witch trial, now they're not going to hug or touch their touch the kids there. Even though almost all, all child experts say this contact is, is very beneficial to kids out of a fear that their actions may be interpreted as signs of abuse, uh, many daycare centers had to close their doors uh, altogether because insurance companies after this are scared of molestation lawsuits and they raise the liability insurance rates. Well, despite the outcome of this and other trials, despite the fact that no widespread satanic abuse ring has literally ever been found, never once, more lives are ruined. Dan and Frances Keller, who ran a daycare center from their Oak Hill home in Austin, Texas, are sentenced to 48 years in prison in 1992. Charges were that the couple had dismembered infants, abused the children in their care, uh, even using those children to carry the bones of corpses exhumed from a local cemetery, making the children drink Kool-Aid mixed with human blood. They're convicted. They're convicted of this nonsense. Uh, you know, d- 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 based on the fantastical testimony of coerced children... Uh, tenuous circumstantial phys- physical evidence presented by Dr. Michael Mao, uh, an emergency room physician who treated one of the girls Kellers are alleged to have abused. Mao later recanted his testimony. Okay, why did he fucking give it in the first place? The Kellers are finally released in 2013 after serving more than 20 years in prison. 20 years in fucking prison. Two lives completely and utterly destroyed because some hysterical moron became convinced you were A, a Satanist, B, part of a Satanic cult, and C, use your Satanic cult to ritually abuse children. They're his a church of Satan, and guess what? They don't fuck with kids. They're not prancing around in devil horns and pitchforks, pitchforks dying to molest your precious little babies. No, they're basically people who think Christianity is ridiculous, that there is no God, and that this life should be worshipped. They're atheists who like to play dress-up and have rituals. Rituals that don't require human sacrifice. But that's too boring, I guess, for idiotic fundamentalists. I fucking hate religious fundamentalists, just of all kinds. I would literally rather have my kids grow up to be heroin junkies than to be religious fundamentalists. Heroin... Uh, way less addictive, in my opinion, than superstitious stupidity. Ah, oh, man. More things change, man. Uh, okay, and still, satanic uh, molestation rings are feared. <laughs> despite, none of, despite none of this shit ever being true. Uh, November 2014 article in the UK's Guardian opens with, quote, exclusive. Charities claim that the satanic abuse of children is rife. Screamed the headline in the Express on Sunday earlier this month. The piece reports that two charities... Uh, Kilmarnock-based Break the Silence and Dundee-based Izzy's Promise believe satanic abuse to be rife in Scotland, and that it has been for decades. They say children are forced to take part in satanic rituals involving the sacrifice of babies and the making of snuff movies. Oh, they really upped the ante with the snuff movies there. According to Kate Short of Break the Silence, 
Victims are so brainwashed they don't dare speak out. Similarly, Joseph Lumbasi, project coordinator with Izzy's Promise, states that, quote, people who talk to us are relating their experiences from when they were maybe just eight, nine, or ten. Kids, really. In other words, it appears highly likely that many of these claims are based upon recovered memories. And this isn't a new phenomenon in the UK either. March 13, 1990, headline of the Daily Mirror reads, Kids Forced into Satan Orgies. Man, I guess that sells some papers, doesn't it? The National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children had reported that satanic abuse was widespread in the UK. Their office should be fucking closed down. <laughs> fucking idiots. It was alleged that these uh, satanic orgies, children were made to eat human body parts, uh, had to drink blood and urine. Animals and babies were sacrificed. Always fucking sacrificing babies. They can't get enough of that. It was always so preposterously over the top, man. Why, why do they always go so extreme? And they ate babies. And they made babies eat other babies. And then some of the babies grew horns and locked arms and danced an evil jig that raised Beelzebub from the bowels of hell where he shit in a baby's mouth. And then he made that baby have a demon baby. And then he ate the baby with a side of orphan liver and washed it down with a goblet of baby nun's blood. What the hell? An investigation ensued, and guess what? Nothing. Of course nothing. It's always nothing. Investigations have produced no evidence, no bodies, no bones, no blood stains, nothing. This negative conclusion was echoed four years later by Jean Lafontaine, Jean, Jean Lafontaine emeritus professor of anthropology at the London School of Economics. Uh, her official inquiry into claims of satanic abuse had investigated 84 alleged cases in the UK between 87 and 92. Nothing. Nothing from any of those. No evidence. Why no evidence? Because mysterious satanic occults featuring respected community leaders hidden in dark cloaks, sacrificing babies and fucking kids are no more real than shape-shifting space lizards living in tunnels beneath us and mating with world leaders to control the human race. It's paranoid, delusional, sensationalistic, imaginative, dangerous nonsense. And, uh, and I think if you make claims of this nature against somebody and it turns out they did nothing wrong, you, the hysterical fuckface who made the claim, should go to prison for as long as the people who lied uh, were going to be sentenced. Right? Like if you make up and, and, they were, and somebody that you made up some claims about was going to end up going to prison for 20 years if found guilty and it was all bullshit, you go to prison for 20 years. Lives are ruined over this nonsense. Uh, last note on that, no British snuff film was ever discovered uh, by authorities, ever. So is the Mandela effect some type of widespread version of this obviously very real phenomena of false memory syndrome? Well, believers in a paranormal explanation, they don't think so. They say, for one thing, that the believers are spread out all over the world. They don't know each other. They don't work or go to the same daycare together. They're not part of the same trial. They're not coerced by the same prosecutors. Prosecutors? Prosecutors? That's a weird... Prosecutors sounds like a weird website for, like, single, um, like, like single 40-something female prosecutors. Prosecutors.com. It'd just be, like, a, a bunch of women just trying too hard to look sexy on, like, stairways and stuff. They make, a good, they make good money, but they just can't find a man. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why all that just came up in my head. <clears throat> but anyway, excuse me. Uh, yeah, none of this has anything to do with the devil. So if it isn't false memory syndrome, how could people from all over the world in some cases all incorrectly remember the same thing in the same way? Okay. Uh, I actually stopped uh, recording for a second there uh, because I literally just set up this fucking studio. You heard me at the beginning. So proud of this. Uh, I'm one step away from the, the, the final evolution of this podcast where I'm going to have my own studio, and now I want it so goddamn bad because I set all this shit up in my house, and then I swear to God, like Murphy's Law, giant fucking truck next door, giant fucking truck with the beep, beep, beep backing up uh, my neighbor's roof. 
is, is she's gonna they're gonna start roofing like right now, motherfucker, man. <laughs> so yeah, I can't I fucking can't win. Trying to record this. This is why I got to keep moving the suck forward, man. This is why I got to get sponsors so I can get a goddamn studio in a fucking quiet place and not be bothered with this nonsense. It makes me it's so annoying. All right, so distracting. So sorry if you hear some beeps. I was gonna wait it out, but apparently they're gonna be there all fucking goddamn day. <laughs> fucking ah, it's probably you know you know who it is. It's Satanists. It's satanic. They hurt. They fucking felt in the universe that I was you know. Uh, or no, actually, w- w- wait, I was kind of defending them in a weird way. No, it's the, it's the people who believe in the satanic ritual cults. They're like, yeah, you're going to talk bad about it? Well, we're going to fucking hire the biggest truck that you've ever seen, and we're going to back it up into your neighbor's driveway over and over again because we're fucking morons who apparently this is the f- their first day on the job, the first time they've ever backed a truck up. All right. Sorry for all that. Uh, parallel universe hypothesis. All right. This brings us uh, – let's, let's talk about that. Alternate realities. The explanation for Mandela Effect – Provided by Fiona Broom, coiner of the term and host of the website MandelaEffect.com. Now, Fiona says that, quote, many of us speculate that parallel realities exist, and we've been sliding between them without realizing it. wonder uh, um, how, how, how she means – how many she means by many. Like, like many is in her and nine other crazy friends who play an inordinate amount of World of Warcraft and consciously budget for incense, or like thousands. Anyway, she says that so far the two leading theories are that we're – quote, sliding between parallel or similar realities, or that we're visiting holodecks, and maybe in one right now that has some glitches. So let's take a look at these two theories of Fiona's. Uh, first off, with the sliding one, she says, when I talk about parallel realities and sliders, I often refer to the Sliders TV series. It aired from 1995 through 2000 and was an innovator in presenting alternate, alternate history themes. And then she provides more info about the show. Sliders is an American science fiction television series. It was broadcast for five seasons, beginning in 1995, ending in 2000. Uh, the series follows a group of travelers as they wormhole to slide between different parallel universes. And then she opens it up with some comment boards. Are you fucking kidding me, Fiona? One of your theories is based entirely, entirely, on a little-known sci-fi 90s American TV show. That's like basing belief in extraterrestrial international conspiracies uh, against the human race entirely on the X-Files. It's not a documentary, you moron. It's a made-up TV show. All right, let's see if our next theory is any better. Please, God, let it be better. The holodeck theory is based a little on the teachings of a somewhat legitimate scientist named Fred Allen Wolf, who refers to himself as Dr. Quantum. I say somewhat because what kind of scientist refers to himself as Dr. Quantum? I would never see a dentist who refers to himself as Dr. Moeller or Dr. Pearly Whites or Dr. Overbite. And I don't trust a scientist who refers to himself as Dr. Quantum. Anyway, uh, this theory uh, of, of theirs largely based on, uh, and the term holodeck itself comes from, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yep, another American TV show that ran in the 90s. And yes, I know it started in the 80s, you fucking Trekkie lunatics. It ran from 87 to 94. Are you kidding me? If Fiona was doing this as a satire, she'd be a comedic genius, but she's serious. Well, on Star Trek The Next Generation, a futuristic TV show that also predicts we'll all dress like ass clowns wearing giant spandex space onesies, the holodeck is depicted as an enclosed room in which objects and people are simulated by a combination of transported matter, replicated matter, tractor beams, and shaped force fields onto which holographic images are projected. Basically, it's virtual reality combined with artificial intelligence. A place you could go and interact with computer-simulated people and objects that, have, that behave and feel as they would in real life. And Fiona makes no effort to explain what the fuck this anything has to do with the Mandela effect. I assume she feels that there could be numerous simulations going, and we're stuck in one of them. 
Uh, after referencing Dr. Quantum and Star Trek, she opens up the comment boards again, which she moderates, uh, moderates, uh, leaving wisdom nuggets such as, quote, when the timeline is changed, it appears that it becomes a different timeline. That is, we don't necessarily need to worry about a blunder during time travel that could completely alter our history. Instead, that blunder would create a different timeline, leaving the original one intact. Intact. Apparently, she's working on another theory she'll be, she'll be using, you know, based on Quantum Leap, another uh, 90s American sci-fi show. Which is, which is great, by the way. I, I always love Quantum Leap. Uh, so that's Fiona's thoughts. And when you go to her bio at FionaBroom.com, she has two websites at least. <laughs> Fiona herself describes herself as, Fiona Broom is an author and researcher studying topics related to ghosts, fairies, and alternate history, also known as the Mandela Effect. Yep, you heard that right, fairies. I think that damages her credibility a little bit. She got, we, got, we got Dr. Quantum, and we got a fairy researcher. <laughs> If you'd like to read one of her books because you feel like you've been a bad person and need to punish yourself, uh, you can pick up a copy of Ghosts, uh, What They Are and What They Aren't, or you can get uh, a copy of A Beginner's Guide to Hunting in Haunted Cemeteries. It just came out last year. Apparently, 2009's Ghost Hunting in Haunted Cemeteries, a how-to guide, was too advanced for some cemetery lurkers, and out of the goodness of her heart, uh, she wrote A Beginner's Guide for those not ready for the advanced techniques of hiding behind tombstones or buying a Ouija board at Target, or dressing all in black and walking around at midnight with only a candle to light your way to the spirit world like a silly asshole. Uh, no books on fairies yet. Guess she's still wrapping up her research. Finding the right 90s TV show to reference. Probably probably deep into the first few seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now. Okay, so uh, if, if the answer is parallel universe slash alternate realities, someone not named Fiona Broom is going to crack that case. They're going to crack that nut. All right. Uh, another theory jumps off from the holodeck theory, and it's two thousand three. Uh, it's a, it's a two thousand three academic article published by Oxford philosopher Nick Bostrom, uh, who did not base his research on Star Trek or any other TV show. Strangely enough, Nick proposes that, and, and you may have to rewind and listen to this again because it's going to be heavy. This is what scared me off Mandela Effect from the from the, the first time. Stuff like this. Okay, this is what he says. He says, "quote At least one of the following propositions is true. One." The human species is very likely to go extinct before reaching a post-human stage. Two, any post-human civilization is extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their evolutionary history or variations thereof. Three, we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. It follows that the belief that there is a significant chance that we will one day become post-humans who run ancestor simulations is false unless we are currently living in a simulation. So what I gather from that is that he believes human consciousness will eventually be able to be placed within inorganic matter, i.e. a computer. Think of those Westworld robots. And then at some point, once humanity has transferred this conscious, kind of like the 1992 sci-fi movie, The Lawnmower Man, one of my favorites in high school, uh, you know, with, with all this, what's with all this 90, uh, 90s sci-fi stuff, by the way? Anyway, at some point, after we're in the machine, organic humans will eventually go extinct, leaving our tech behind. Only our tech. By the way, the fucking, the fucking, if the, as if this stuff isn't heavy enough, I have to record this stuff before going on the plane, so I have to do it now. The fuck, the, it's like the neighbors. They're like, uh, can, we, can we get the truck louder? Can we, get, can we get three trucks over here right now? Can we get three trucks to work on the roof? Do you have an air compressor? Do you have 10 air compressors that we can run? Can we surround the neighbor's house with air compressors and loud trucks? These fucking assholes. <laughs> we're probably gonna have a, a screaming contest but let's have a screaming contest right now that'd be fun with the neighborhood okay 
So anyway, at some point after we're in the machine, organic humans will eventually go extinct, uh, leaving only our tech behind. Uh, a tech that will, as he says, not only be interested in, uh, not likely, excuse me, be interested in running holodeck-like simulations on, on humans, uh, who humans used to be, uh, but if they do for some reason choose to run these simulations, we're probably living in one of them. It's heavy stuff, man. And basically, Mandela Effect believers who point to this explanation believe that essentially Mandela Effects are, are glitches in the simulation. We, there are these glitches that kind of prove that we are in a simulation. So Nick elaborates. He says, quote, Let us suppose for a moment that these predictions are correct. One thing that later, later generations might do with their super powerful computers is run detailed simulations of their forebears or of people like their forebears because their computers would be so powerful they could run a great many such simulations. Suppose that these simulated people are conscious, as they would be if the simulations were sufficiently fine-grained and if a certain uh, quite widely accepted position in the philosophy of mind is correct. Then it could be the case that the vast majority of minds, like ours, do not belong to the original race, but rather to people simulated by the advanced descendants of an original race. Wow. Thinking about all this uh, shit literally makes my head hurt. But I'm trying to follow it. Uh, maybe I'm reading into things, but I think he's saying something like the Mandela effect could actually prove that we are living in the simulation. Like I said before, if apparent glitches start to show up in the game, so to speak, then that could prove the existence of the game. And if there is a game, then the game is being run by post-humans. Okay. Now, I love sci-fi. I like where he's let his mind go. Uh, and as crazy as this sounds, I'll accept that this could be a reality. But obviously, it's a very remote possibility. I mean, sure, we could be living in some futuristic Star Trek-like holodeck. And uh, Nimrod, the god I invented in the Scientology episode, some creator of the universe who also happens to be a giant space Sasquatch size of a galaxy with the head of a chupacabra who rides a black unicorn with flaming suns for eyes and demands I stomp the skull of Cocker Spaniels once a month to prove obedience, uh, you know, so I'm worthy of living in his Alpha Omega ball sack. That could also be true. I mean, why not? Why not? Why, I mean, anything's possible, I guess, if you can't disprove it somehow. Now, admittedly, the post-human computer simulation possibility, a little more thought out than Nimrod, but, but you, get, you, you get the point. I got to say, though, uh, Nick does give, if nothing else, some really cool food for thought L like this. He says, a common assumption in the philosophy of mind is that of the substrate independence. The idea is that mental states can supervene on any of a broad class of physical substrates, provided a system implements the right sort of computational structures and processes. It can be associated with conscious experiences. It's not an essential property of consciousness that it is important implemented on a carbon-based biological neural network inside a cranium. Silicon-based processors inside a computer could, in principle, do the trick as well. well. As a kid, I used to dream of uh, of being immortal. Not in some mythical or religious sense, but like in a sci-fi sense. Kind of like how Vader had his life prolonged by basically becoming a cyborg. You know? Uh, I imagine only being a brain eventually. Like a brain attached to some robotic body. You know, the body wears out, you just get a new one. Nick's argument here is a much more sophisticated version of that, I feel like. You know, what if tech could advance us to the point that the human mind can be totally duplicated, precisely? True human consciousness with emotions, morality, quirks, desires, pain, pleasure, wants, needs can be electronically replicated in full. It seems impossible, but 500 years ago, so did tiny, impossibly powerful phone computers that give you access to all the world's information you can hold in your hand. What wizardry could we have 500 years from now? Well, Nick isn't the only one who allows for the possibility of currently living in some futuristic computer simulation. Neil deGrasse Jr. High Tyson, uh, talk, Neil deGrasse Tyson, talked about this possibility last spring at the annual Isaac Asimov Memorial Debate at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, where researchers pondered the notion that if you, me, and every person and thing in the cosmos were actually characters in some giant computer game, we wouldn't know it. 
Moderator Neil deGrasse Tyson, director of the museum's Hayden Planetarium, put the odds at 50-50 that our entire existence is a program on someone else's hard drive. He says, quote, I think the likelihood may be very high. He noted the gap between human and chimpanzee intelligence, despite the fact that we share more than 98% of our DNA. Somewhere out there could be a being whose intelligence is that much greater than our own. He says, quote, we would be drooling, blithering idiots in their presence. If that's the case, it's easy for me to imagine that everything in our lives is just a creation of some other entity for their entertainment. Okay, so maybe, again, maybe. So what the fuck is going on with Mandela Effect? Is there a decent explanation out there? I mean, honestly, after doing lots of digging, the best I found after scouring so many articles comes from Caitlin Amat, a doctoral candidate at neuroscience in the University of California at Los Angeles, who wrote an article for Aeon.com, A-E-O-N, or .co, excuse me, Aeon.co, a super cool nonprofit website dedicated to sharing information on philosophy, science, psychology, etc., kind of like vice for academia. Well, Caitlin shares the results of an interesting study done on the, on the phenomena of shared memory. It's a study about Alexander Hamilton. She says, at some point in their education, most Americans learned that Alexander Hamilton was a founding father, but not a U.S. president. However, when a study on false memory investigated whom most Americans identify as U.S. presidents, the subjects were more likely to incorrectly select Hamilton, but not select several actual former presidents. This is likely to be because, because neurons encoding information about Hamilton were frequently activated at the same time as neurons encoding information about former presidents. Because neurons that fire together wire together, that is the fucking nerdiest phrase ever, but I love it. A con- fire together, wire together. She has, someone has a t-shirt. Someone with the fucking poor eyesight and a, and a small ectomorph body is wearing neurons that fire together, wire together t-shirt. A connection between past presidents and Hamilton could gradually become strong enough that you would incorrectly remember Hamilton as the former president himself. This makes a lot of sense to me. I know I have believed that Alexander Hamilton was a U.S. president at various points in my life. Actually, uh, if I'm going to be honest with myself, I think right before doing this research, I thought Alexander Hamilton was one of our presidents. He, I did think that. Uh, it makes sense to me because I thought that, you know, that I thought that because I learned about Alexander Hamilton when I was learning about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, all those guys doing the same shit as Hamilton was. I think I used to think Benjamin Franklin was a president too, for the same reasons. Now check out how Caitlin breaks down why so many people might remember seeing Sinbad, the genie movie, Shazam, that never existed. She says, Twin films with similar concepts being released around the same time were common in the 1990s. Sinbad had a different movie out the same year called First Kid, which, like Kazam, involves the hero coming to the aid of a wayward boy. And Sinbad had also previously released House Guest, 1995, the poster for which has an image of his head coming out of a mailbox, perhaps abstractly resembling a genie emerging from a lamp. Sinbad is an Arabic name. The story of Sinbad the Sailor is often associated with encounters with gypsies. Sinbad's bald head and goatee resemble a typical genie portrayed in the media. Sinbad also dressed up like a genie for a movie marathon he hosted in the 90s, which almost certainly contributed to the memory of Sinbad playing a genie. Besides, similar associations laying the groundwork for a false memory to form. The other main factors in this instance are confabulation and suggestibility. So she explains that. If Shazam never existed, how does he have such a detailed memory of the movie? Uh, Talking about this Redditor. This is most likely an instance of confabulation, where the brain's attempt to fill in missing memory gaps by adding fabricated facts and experiences. Unlike lying, confabulation is not intended to deceive, and the person confabulating fully believes that the remembered details are real. Confabulation is associated with a wide array of neurological disorders, including stroke, 
brain injury, Alzheimer's, Korsakoff syndrome, epilepsy, schizophrenia, but it can also happen in healthy subjects, as, in, as anyone with the memory of Pre- President Hamilton can attest. Instances of confabulation in healthy people increase with age and are thought to be due to age-related changes in the medical tempor- uh, medial temporal lobe, including the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex. These brain regions are important for memory encoding and retrieval, and fMRI studies over the past decade suggest the decreased function in these regions underlies false memory. And a third force driving the Mandela effect is suggestibility, the tendency to believe what others suggest to be true. When misinformation is introduced, it can actually compromise the fidelity of an existing memory. This is exactly why in a court of law, an attorney can object to leading questions that suggest a specific answer, which I talked about earlier. In short, the leading question, do you remember the 1990s film Shazam that starred Sinbad as a genie, which was posted on Reddit, not only suggests that such a film actually exists, but could even insert a false memory on those having read the question. Fucking well-played, Caitlin. Game, set, match. Holy shit, that was great. Uh, After researching Elizabeth Loftus' research into false memory syndrome, where time and time again groups of people have gone to jail or had their lives ruined by people remembering outlandish shit because someone suggested it to them, or they have a good imagination, or because they read about it somewhere and it lodged into their subconscious and then came out years later, some sort of repressed memory... I, I, it really makes it obvious to me that memories can be created. The powers of confabulation and suggestion are real. Uh, and my, and that, talking about that confabulation, my wife and I have argued countless times over some situation where she knows, she knows for sure, something happened one day. I definitely remember it happened a different way. Each time we do this, one of us ends up being right, and only one. But she's positive. She's the one who's been right most of the time. Uh, well, I know I have been right most of the time. You know? Obviously, we both can't can't be correct there but both of us remember things you know like I'll, like I'll remember putting away the dishes someday she says I didn't I'll remember it I, I know exactly uh, the way I did it but maybe I'm just using confabulation to to kind of build that memory from previous times putting away the dishes that's a real thing the brain can do you know in various circumstances creating the initial false memory and then and then like you know the web places like reddit galvanizing some loose collection of similar memories into one how could we all remember the same thing incorrectly kind of movement it makes a lot of fucking sense to me man caitlin amott's breakdown reminds me of dr henry rodiger's breakdown at the beginning of this time suck you know one person's memories infect others as kind of memory virus to me, that explains Mandela effect. It makes much more sense than various alternate reality theories based on 90s TV. Uh, makes even more sense than futuristic post-human computer simulation theory, as cool as that is, by Nick Bostrom and Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know? So there you go, man. I feel, I feel good now, despite the fucking idiots next door. Ruining my, first, <laughs> ruining my first time recording my new equipment. I was like a kid on Christmas morning. And then someone fucking take, took a shit on my presence. But whatever, man. We did it. I feel like I got a good handle on this Mandela Effect situation. Uh, and, and mostly I feel good thanks to Elizabeth Loftus, Henry Rodiger, Caitlin Amant. Thanks to your research. Uh, no thanks at all to Fiona, Fairy Hunter Broom. Uh, and now uh, it's time for a recap. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one. In the last couple of decades, multiple daycare providers have had their businesses go bankrupt and have gone to prison for either being suspected of or being found guilty of sexually abusing children as part of a satanic ritual. What are prisons made up of? Born-again Christians and dudes who consider pedophiles the scum of the earth. While the molestation charges were completely false, you know the ass rapes these poor bastards got in prison were all too real. Number two, Fiona Broom, creator of the term Mandela Effect, watched way too much sci-fi in the 90s and thinks there was a good chance the Mandela Effect can be explained by the TV show Sliders. 
The only thing Sliders actually proved is that many TV execs are, in fact, idiots. Check this out. Fox aired certain episodes from seasons one and two in a different order than originally scripted to best capitalize on potential ratings winning episodes, completely fucking up the serialized continuity of Jerry O'Connell's most successful uh, TV show since Camp Wilder. For instance, uh, the timer is first set to count down, not in the pilot episode, but in Summer of Love. But since Fox aired Fever right after the pilot episode, many viewers were left confused as to why the slider suddenly had to leave within a very specific period of time that hadn't been explained to them. Uh, similarly, the cliffhanger at the end of Summer of Love uh, leads, that's an episode title, leads directly into the opening of the episode Prince of Wales, which Fox had actually aired a week earlier. It's fucking ridiculous. You know who wasn't confused by all of that? Fiona goddamn Broom. All part of some typical alternate universe shit for her. Number three, Sinbad never appeared in the movie Shazam, and it's not the Bernstein Bears. It's, it's Bernstein Bears. I know it's hard, but if Sinbad himself can accept these truths, and if uh, Stan and Jan Berenstain, creators of the Berenstain Bears can, so can you. Number four, who knew one shitty book Michelle remembers could leave a legacy of so much pain and confusion? L. Ron Hubbard, that's who. Michelle remembers doesn't have shit on the destructive legacy of Dianetics. Number five, just to be clear, just to be absolutely clear, the Doobie Brothers were and are totally real. They've sold over 40 million albums to date, were inducted into the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 2004. Their guitar, uh, electric-based rock, rock and roll, gave way to a more soft rock and blue-eyed soul sound uh, when they, when they brought real-life angel Michael McDonald into the fold in 1976, going on to pen such hits as Grammy-winning record What a Fool Believes in 1978. What a fool believes he sees No wise man has the power A song co-written by angel-slash-humanoid unicorn Kenny Loggins, a guy who also wrote and sang amongst many other hits, oh, I don't know, Footloose. Maybe you heard of that little Kevin Bacon dance, Diddy. And... Since he owned the 80s, the Top Gun theme song, Danger Zone. Highway to the Danger Zone. Gonna take a ride in to the Danger Zone. Time Suck Top 5 Takeaways. We did it, Time Suckers. We did it. We made it through some stuff on the episode. Mandela Effect thoroughly sucked. Maybe went a little heavy on the satanic shit to get there, but who could resist sucking on Satan? It is fascinating. You had me at Satanic Cult. I was sucked in, and I wasn't getting out anytime soon. I hope the sound quality was a nice bump up from the last uh, 30 episodes. I'm going to figure out how to uh, never record again uh, when there's fucking 17 loading trucks surrounding my house. And, and some weird, it's like the Lizard Illuminati knew what I was trying to do. Really happy to put that sweet suck money, though. You've given me right back into your ear holes. Uh, some initial sponsors are coming soon, so we can take this suck experiment further. I'm going to rent that little office uh, down the road. I'm going to foam the shit out of the walls. I'm going to buy a gun. I'm going to fucking shoot anyone who drives a loading truck anywhere near it in the fucking head. You've been warned. I'm going to turn it into my own little Howard Hughes hide from the outside world sound studio and just just get OCD obsessed with the suck. Make sweet love to your ear holes. I'm excited. Uh, Saw some initial artwork on a second t-shirt I'm having whipped up. Uh, It's so good. It's so weird. Uh, it's the guy who did my Chinese Affection album cover, Chris Fairbanks. I'm really into it. Going to get some stickers after that to spread the suck with, uh, and we'll see what you want from there. Uh, I'm listening. Uh, check out timesuckpodcast.com to donate through PayPal if you feel so inclined. Click the Amazon button link. Help the show uh, when you do some shopping. You're going to do anyway. And if you haven't done it already, please, please, please uh, go to podsurvey.com backslash timesuck, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y.com backslash T-I-M-E-S-U-C-K. Uh, and help me keep improving the show. 
Help me get away from these fucking trucks. Let's help keep it going for a long time. And most importantly, uh, stay curious. Please uh, do not dress up like a member of a satanic cult molest some kid because you're going to stir that hornet's nest up all over again. And most, most, most importantly, you know what I'm going to say, keep on sucking.